Hey, I'm Chris. And I'm Andrew, and welcome to the third episode of Video Games Cover to Cover. So, we're going to start off things today. I, we have, we've both gotten into Chapter 2. I am just before Besaids, so I've really only done the first couple of things in, in Chapter 2. But we said we were going to get to Chapter 2. When we make a commitment, we stand by it. <laughs> I know that we said we'd get into a little bit of chapter two, like maybe halfway, but that, I mean, honestly, that was really asking too much. Yeah, I, especially for us, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. At, at this point, uh, pretty much anything spoilers up until chapter two for Final Fantasy X-2. All right, so let's start off with what we were going for as kind of our standard. So, Chris... How did your play live up to your expectations this time in the last week? Well, I, I can tell you that the brother stuff has not settled down at all. No, it has not. And that that's... In fact, in the beginning of Chapter 2, it somehow was even creepier. Yeah, I, I have a whole section on how upsetting the brother stuff is. And, and I'll start off with... This is essentially at the very end of chapter two, right after they, right after you get uh, the awesome sphere, which I do want to go ahead and point out before we get into the brother stuff. I found it absolutely adorable that Yuna and Riku were so excited for whatever this quote unquote awesome sphere was. That that little. Inter, inter, interject with them going like, ooh, the awesome sphere, yeah, let's get it. I bet it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I was like, that is adorable. Please let me have more of that. And later on, even Pain is like, yeah, let's do this. I'm like, yes, yeah, because this uh, is what I when want. You, when you get to Kilika and you're in the forest, you know, almost sounds like she's like, well, you know, there's a lot of people here. Maybe we should go back. And Pain is like, no, I want that spear now. Yeah, and, and it this what I really wanted in this game specifically was Final Fantasy 15 is very much a this is a dude bro story of a bunch of bros just broing out <laughs> going on an adventure. And I was really hoping that this would be essentially the opposite. The girls night out of Girls night out going out, doing whatever they want, having a good time, having fun with one another, and just going on an adventure. So the bridesmaids to Final Fantasy XV's The Hangover. Clearly. <laughs> exactly. That That is exactly what I wanted in this game. And there are glimpses of it, bits and pieces. And and I think that's why not... I mean, other than the fact that the brother stuff is, is, is mega creepy and, and way over the top to begin with... It's, it's kind of annoying to me because it's like, I really wanted this story to be mainly focused around the three girls, Yuna, Riku, and Pain, because that's, it seems like this game was really trying to be that. A, let's just, let's try something new, and instead of having just an all-male party or whatever, let's go out and do something that, that other people aren't. Because I don't really think there were games like this at the time that weren't meant to be just, like, fan service Cer or something. Certainly not with the prestige that comes with a main series like Final Fantasy. And and yes, I mean, the, the clothes changing stuff, I mean, is fan service-y or whatever. But 
But I don't even think it's that fan service compared to what I thought I remembered before. When I was a teenager, I was just like, oh, ugh, this is dumb. But I, I mean, it's a little bit, but mostly just because of how skimpy some of the outfits are. But like you said before, I actually think the changing is relatively tasteful. And it, I don't think it's as, it's not as bad as I was expecting. A lot of the outfits I like a lot. The, like, like I already mentioned, I like the psychic outfits, the uh, black mage with the, with the huge witch hats and the purple, like, purple is one of my favorite colors. So I, I like that one regardless. I do really enjoy a lot of, a lot of the, the outfits. And I think one of my favorite parts is getting a new garment and being like, okay, what do they look like? What are their skills? What are their abilities? White mage, oh man, is a chore because you are you you are getting rid of one third of your party because all they can do is heal. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to try to grind white mage, you basically have to put them in a garment grid that gives them some bonus offensive ability. Yeah, or allow them. See, that's actually a really good idea because I didn't do that. But you could also give them those armbands. Yes, that accessories add, that add stuff. Yeah. yeah, that add like thunder or whatever. And that is a great idea. And I think I'm going to go ahead and do that because just getting rid of one. Because what I'm doing is every turn, I'm just having Unipray. The other two are uh, Pain. I'm working on Psychic because I've maxed everything out for her that I really wanted to, which in, in, in my defense is basically just warrior right now. Um, and I, I started maxing out her super one. What's it called? The fortress or, or something? Yeah, yeah, her ultimate form. Full, full throttle. Full yes, throttle. The, 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 like you were saying, the motorcycle-y thing. Yeah, yeah. I, it's kind of funny that you called that a way back in episode one. She definitely looks like the kind of person who would have a big hog. And She's then... like a motorcycle with wings. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I really can't wait to see what the other two have. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely down that I haven't gotten theirs yet because I'm really looking forward to them. And I don't even know because maybe they have other ones. Maybe Full Throttle is just her first one. I don't know. I will say it's been relatively easy to max stuff out. The one problem I do have with Full Throttle is there's one of the wings has the ability to uh, oh cast life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cast life. It's called Reboot. And it's cool, except for the fact that, from my perspective, the monsters only ever seem to attack pain because they know that she's the one. So I, I frequently, when I was grinding with her, I would have those dog things run up and just chew her face off, instant killer. It looks like the wings have a couple moments to do their thing, but it's not long enough for them to do something, you to then pick reboot and then still have enough time for reboot to cast and bring her back to life. So it, it, it's annoying in that respect because it seems like it's almost a useless skill. So you, you would basically gonna... have to just be sitting on that thing, not using its turn for it to ever work. 
or you have to just keep selecting reboot over and over and over in the hopes that pain might die. I mean, I guess if, if she's getting close to death, you could go ahead and preemptively put that out there. But why wouldn't you just preemptively put out the health that that same wing also has? It, it, it just seems kind of a weird system. And it just it seems like it doesn't give you enough time to kind of come back from that, especially since only one of the wings can do it. Now, I haven't had a monster actually attack the wings, so I, I don't know. Maybe it'll come up later, and I'm just fighting... The things I'm fighting are just too smart or whatnot, but the only thing that can really kill me at all right now because I'm so overleveled is those stupid dogs, and they just immediately attack pain every time with Killer Fang, and it's very annoying. Two things on that. One, I'm actually really surprised that pain's ultimate form doesn't get instant death immunity yeah because it has other it has other immunities but i don't think killer fang works like instant death i think killer i think i think it is immune to instant death but whatever killer fang is i think it just does max damage every time I don't think so, because there's definitely been times where Killer Fang just hit and it only did like 10 damage. It's definitely a chance. Interesting. So I, I, I wonder if it just works differently for those dogs, and there's just a percent chance that it will do max damage no matter what. It's possible. I'd have to pay attention. I don't remember seeing a number on the times when it actually killed you, which is why I was just assuming it's the instant death status effect. But Exactly. I, I, saw, I remember the same thing, it not coming up. And it was actually really annoying for me because the first time I ran into it was at Bacnow, the old Albed homeland. Oh, and yeah, the desert. Yeah. The the first time I remember seeing it, it was just in that part where you're following behind Riku. Oh, yeah. And she just gets further and further away and apparently is abandoning you. Every single one of those dogs would do instant kill every time, and I thought I was going to die without a save point because of it. It got to the point where there was one person left, multiple rounds, and I, I, I was just attacking in the hopes that it would die in the next attack because they were relatively weak, and that way after the battle I could use Phoenix Downs. Because I couldn't wait for a whole nother round of wait for it to use Phoenix down because it might use Killer Fang and then kill my last person. So I had to just attack and hope that I would get it before it attacked me. And that it was definite. It wasn't a big deal because I never ended up dying. But it, that just seems like a very broken that, see, that's attack. really interesting that you've had that because I generally, I mean, I've definitely had a couple of times where it's hit me and I've died, but it's generally not really been a problem. It, it's happened to me quite a bit. I, for whatever reason, I must have a bad, I must have bad luck or a bad seed or something because they, more often than not, they use Killer Fang and it instant kills a party member, which is exactly huh. why I've been grinding Yuna's healer so that way i could use life outside of a battle not uh, that there's phoenix, actually sorry go ahead not that phoenix downs are expensive especially since i have 1.5 million gil but and awaka finish so he's extremely cheap <laughs> actually i was about to say though uh there is a garment grid that i got and i would assume you also got that actually gives you it's just like the one that gives you cure cure curaga but also adds life was it near the end of chapter two? 
Chapter one, I, I think so. Or, yeah. yeah, sorry, the end of chapter one. Because I, I actually think it's the one you get from Killika at the very end. Okay, if that's the case, then I haven't grinded since then. The only time I grind, the only time I did a grind was with was between um, when you were catching up with me and the end of chapter two. Yeah, I just figured I'd mention that so that now you know that for the sake of not necessarily having to do that because I immediately switched all three of them were still using the one that gave them cure and I immediately switched them all to that. So. How did it live up? How has it lived up to your expectations so far? And, and with that in mind, let, let let's not talk about the end of chapter two just yet. You, you keep saying end of chapter two. You mean end of chapter one? Y- yes. <laughs> Our listeners are going to be very confused. I, I'm just so focused on chapter two now that we're finally there. Let's see here. Okay, so avoiding the very end, I will say. Xanarkin played out very differently than I was expecting. That's the biggest thing, probably, uh, both in the sense that it really had nothing to do with the Titus storyline that I originally thought it would. Also, they finally brought Sid back, and I remember thinking, it's weird that we haven't seen Sid. I was not expecting him to be running a tourist trap in Xanarkand. Yeah, and Riku's point was essentially spot on. He, she, she, and, and I loved her point about that because Sid, Sid, the first thing he says right away is, oh, I don't understand what the problem is when, when Yuna mentions that she has a problem with it and, and Riku's response of Sid, it would be no different that if somebody set a tourist trap at Bacchanel where our old homeland was, and then he kind of stops for a second, and realizes, oh, and he just kind of walks off like he's thinking about it. Yeah. You have a really good point. That probably is bad. It, it, it's one thing to turn it into like a historical place, but what he did was very not cool. Yeah, he basically made it into, I wouldn't call it like an amusement park, uh, but it's definitely like very much like what you would think of as a tourist trap rather than like a historical monument. Exactly. If if, if it had become like a historical monument of Xanakin or whatever, and they try to restore the sections where people would be at, we'd be having a totally different conversation because that, that would be very respectful. But this is just a bunch of people coming in and trampling all over Xanarkin, a, a once sacred place, although it was only sacred under Yevon, so... But, I mean, even outside of the sacred Yevon context, it's still... A giant a, graveyard. A, a monumentally important thing to the history of Spira, since Xanarkin is essentially, even without the Yevon stuff, basically a city of legend. Exactly. So it's really not cool what he was doing there. And I'm in, I'm curious if they're going to have him maybe like try to do something different with it since this got addressed in chapter one. I would kind of re- I kind of really hope that they're going to maybe he is going to turn it more into that as the game goes on. Yeah, I that's also what I'm expecting. I, I'm hoping that if Sid is still in charge of it or if he just stops what he's doing there, it would be nice to see him turn it into a more historical monument, even if he's going to do the same thing and people would be encouraged to treat it with with the respect that it deserves. While we're on the subject of Xanarkin, though, and talking about things that we thought were adorable, the Kindergartians were great. Oh, the Kindergartians. Oh, I was so happy. The part where Yuna actually talks to them. Did you see the, the goon 
just like chilling out in the back all creepily just staring at you yeah and then you immediately get to fight him and i was really happy about that (laughs) but yes but they they had like poses like the power rangers and everything they're like kindergartens go yeah it was it was great just seeing these little kids being so into you know treasure hunting and things and i kind of felt bad that it so one of the things that was tourist trappy about the new Xanarkand was spend gill to get to open a chest just like you're a real adventurer or whatever yes oh. and they were all open and, and they were you, all sold out right and then you get to the end and the kindergartens bought like every single chest yeah and they were so excited because they got like three potions and i was like oh come on really I'm like that's adorable but i feel so bad for these kids like you guys know that they were chests like right outside the door that no one had opened yet everyone walked right past a legitimate chest that had a mega elixir in it or a mega phoenix which is huge yeah and then oh we paid 15 kill for that clue and it turns out that was sid selling them i'm like oh you're taking advantage of children come on sid and that was azaru's brother his his little brother his little yeah. brother so that dude that you were talking about right outside that didn't want to talk about azaru now we know why, because he's super ashamed of his brother right now for what he's doing in Xanarkin. Yeah, because he's like, he's basically Sid's assistant at this Xanarkin thing, and I, that was definitely something I was not expecting from Isaro. Yeah, and the end where he's like, ooh, look, if you do this thing, answer my riddles, and you'll get the sphere. That was really funny, but I still like, come on, man. And then Yuna, uh, Azaru, is that you? No, no, of course not. Aww. Uh, yes, so this is all about, you know, the experience. And I, if I was Yuna, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, really, dude? One, one of the things, I will say, one of the things that we didn't talk about last time because you weren't there yet was Mount Gagazet. Yeah. Yuna was not looking great on Mount Gagazet because... Maybe it was just one of those, I'm telling you this because you need to hear it, but the things that you're supposed to say to the Ronzo in order to do the 100% guide, some of them were terrible. Basically saying, oh yeah, the Guado totally deserved whatever you're going to give to them and do whatever you want because the Guado clearly deserved it. Yeah, the one that stood out the most to me was the one who was basically talking about how uh, the Ronzo could never forgive the Guado, and then there's a bunch of options that are basically you really need to start to forgive and forget, and then the one you're actually supposed to say is, "Oh yeah, absolutely, you should never forgive them." Yeah, and then so Kamari walks up to Yuna, and he's as a leader is going, "Hey, so I don't know what to do. The a lot of the Ronzo are really upset, and they want to take revenge on the Guado, and that's not right." The response you're supposed to say as Yuna is, Kamari, it's up to you with, to deal with that stuff. And then Kamari's immediate response is, you're right, Kamari, weak Kamari. I shouldn't be, he shouldn't be whining. I, I shouldn't be whining about my problems. Yuna, are you serious? This is your best friend that you've, that helped you grow up for 10 years. He didn't even know her before. All Kamari knew is Aaron insisted that 
Kamari, go find her. He did that. And then she said, please don't leave. And he was by her side for the next 10 years. And he's sitting there saying, Yuna, I, I really don't know what to do, but this isn't right. They shouldn't be seeking vengeance like this. The response you're supposed to say is, dude, solve your own problems. I got my own stuff to deal with. Suck it up, Kamari. Yeah. Jeez. I, I couldn't believe that. That's such a a huge tonal difference from how I would have assumed Yuna, uh, unless Yuna was literally just putting on a face the entire last game, and this is the real Yuna, Yuna definitely has flashes of, you're a terrible person. I actually was about to bring that up. It's been really strange because I don't even know how to describe it because it almost feels like she's... It, it it almost feels like when a character gets written by committee or something, like one person writes her in one way and somebody else writes her in a different way. So you mean like if, if people wrote her story, people, like someone was in charge of Mount Gagazette section, someone was in charge of Besaid sections. Exactly. And, and that's how their view of Yuna is? Exactly, because it feels like in some cases she's very similar to the relatively quiet and passive Yuna of the first game. Sometimes she seems like, I guess, probably my favorite of the Yunas so far has been the one who is still a good person, but is much more assertive and do- and like willing to remind people, hey, remember, I'm the High Summoner. I did a lot of stuff. Respect me. And then there are times where, like in Mount Gagazette, or at the very end, basically the end of Chapter 1, beginning of Chapter 2, that we'll talk to you about in a little bit, where she's like, really angry and jealous of people she doesn't even know part of the game and part of the whole purpose is this is her finally getting out of her shell and doing things that she wants and and that was i think part of the part of the whole beginning with the eternal calm video is riku convincing her yuna you need to do what you want for once you're also important and you need to get yours and i think some of this is part of that where she has shifts in her personality because she's struggling with, I really want what I want, but at the same time, I I need to do these things because I, I feel like that's what everybody else wants. But even if that's the case, there are certain times, especially on Mount Gagazette, where the only person you're talking to is the Ronzo. And as the high summoner, you could be sitting there going, I understand that this was a this was ab- abhorrent and none of what Seymour did was right but at the end of the day that was Seymour and something should happen to the Guado but what you're talking about is extreme so there should be punishment but it definitely shouldn't be let's go attack the Guado and I get that Ronzo, that really the only thing that they listen to is is strength and, and and fighting and whatnot. But to tell Kamari, quit your whining and solve your own problems when he's reaching out to you for help. Wow. I, I just, that's not a Yuna I can get behind. I absolutely agree. That was very weird. I also do just want to point out Kamari successfully completed a pilgrimage, you know, up until two years ago, basically the highest calling that anybody could do is either being a summoner or escorting one and bringing the calm. 
and people in the community still talk to him like he's a weak nobody. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're still talking to him as if, oh, Kamari, none of the kids would be out there fighting the Guado if you didn't have them under control. And this wouldn't happen if you didn't control your people and be a better elder. Are you kidding me? He defeated your two strongest warriors. And as you said, completed a pilgrimage where they not only defeated sin, but defeated sin forever. And you're going to sit there and tell him that he's still weak? Yeah, it's like, how strong is the average Ronzo that someone who basically goes off and defeats God is still considered a weak Ronzo? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could not. <laughs> I, I, I was baffled when I got there. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? And then they treat Yuno with a lot of respect. They're like, High Summoner is such an honor. But then they talk de- down on Kamari right in front of her. Yeah, like, uh, Kamari sucks. I don't know if you're aware of this, but even as an elder, and and I'm just sitting And here apparently like, she is aware of it because you're like, come on, Kamari, you got to solve your problem. And, and we were dumping all over Kamari in the first episode, and now I feel really bad about it because I'm sitting here thinking, wow, even in this game, they're dumping all over him. Yeah, so, like, d- when I dumped, on, when, at least for me, when I was dumping on Kamari... It's more of a mechanics thing. I found him not very useful as a party member. Well, yes, but, both of us were, were talking to him like that. We weren't saying that he was a bad character. Right. By dumping on him, I mean, he it, it just didn't feel like he had a place because he the only thing he was really good for was being the blue mage. And blue magic just really was not that impressive in 10. And I hardly even use it now. The only thing that I'll probably use is Healing Wind, but I'm not even going to need that once I max out Yuna's thing anyway. Yeah. I mean, Healing Wind is nice because it not only heals, but does do status effects, so it might be a little bit more powerful. What I'd really want to do is maybe I'll just have, like, Healing and Black Magic in one one wheel and switch between those, or maybe put blue mage on one of those garment grids that allows for curaga cure and health and then i could also use white wind now that's a good idea i might do that i'll probably do that and then i'll put like i'm (laughs) sorry i'm sitting here thinking how am i gonna make this work how can i min max and and get the best possible honestly out of the job system is a really good system for min maxing just in general because there's so many interesting possible combinations and stuff yeah i like the sphere grid was really easy to break if you were willing to put the time in just because you could get so strong but the job system is probably more of a i guess traditional min max where you actually there wasn't a whole lot of thought to min-maxing the sphere grid because eventually everyone could have absolutely everything. Yeah. Whereas with the job system, okay, yes, everyone could learn everything, but you can't have all the spheres on a given garment grid at the same time, and you still have to change jobs to get what you need, so there's still a question of what combination of jobs is the best and things like that. And I still love the sphere grid and think it's great, but for specifically within the context of trying to make the best character, I think the job system as presented in 10-2 is a more interesting system to consider. Like I said in the last one, I've come around a lot on this game, and that has not changed at all. I am really liking the system in general. I I did turn off the changes 
the animations, uh, the yeah, animation me too. changes only because I'll, I'll turn them back on when I get new, but because when I'm grinding, because I'm very much about constantly grinding, it's definitely annoying when it takes, you know, 10 to 15 seconds to do a transformation, especially when I'm working on, on Payne's full throttle where I have to do a transformation and then another transformation into her thing and that one seems to take a little bit longer than a normal transformation. So, is there anything else you wanted to cover in the regular parts of Chapter 1 before we move on to trying to cover the finale of Chapter 1 and going into the beginnings of Chapter 2? Yeah, so... New Yevon seems real shady right now. Uh, so does the Youth League, kind of, though. Yeah, but even not talking about the end... They're protecting the sphere that we'll talk about in a minute. But as soon as they got the sphere, the new Yevon Maester guy comes out and goes, I've prepared this giant monster for just such an occasion and immediately starts attacking everybody. Yeah, that was really weird. So for context, the finale of chapter one, after you finish all the hotspots, Besaid and Xanarkand, is Kilika, where the Youth League and New Yevon are fighting over the Awesome Sphere, as it is called. I'm really curious who gave it that name, but that aside. <laughs> so you just show up where the Youth League is, basically where the Youth League is beginning their push on the temple that New Yevon controls, because I believe New Yevon controls all the temples. And they are, you know, you just basically show up right as this fight is getting underway between both sides, and... It's weird because even though you're not really declaring a side, I don't think you can get into random encounters with Youth League people, just New Yevon people. Or at least I don't think I did. Well, it was also different because the New Yevon people weren't exactly fighting and attacking either. At least from my perspective, they were just essentially protesting and like, no, I wouldn't necessarily say like a riot type situation, but they were basically, from my perspective, demanding you get this thing. I mean, riot probably is the best way to describe it, at least in terms of how it felt, where the Youth League was basically pushing at the gates and the guards for New Yevon were standing there with their guns and weren't shooting, but were basically just trying to hold the crowd back. And then you get into random encounters with New Yevon people, which is really weird. Because like when you're walking around on the map, they just show up and they're like, no, you can't go this way and push you backwards and there's no fight to it. That felt a little strange. But I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was Riot in so many words because I didn't really see them like pushing back and attacking them. They weren't like throwing rocks or using weapons or whatever. Meanwhile, New Yevon is straight up pulling guns on people. I, I mean, I guess it sort of felt like a riot, but if it felt it felt more like a more hostile protest than an actual riot. And then some people snuck in and stole the sphere, and when they were running away, New Yevon decided to bust out this giant monster thing to attack everybody. And both of them seem shady, but I didn't see New Yevon show up with giant robot monsters to attack New Yevon. And New Yevon definitely did. So as far as escalation's concerned, I I'm still leaning more towards New Yevon as the bad guys. Well, I agree. And 
clearly on some level that is correct because jumping ahead just a little bit. Yes, I know. You have to side. You have to side with the youth league in order to be able to 100% the game. So clearly the 100% is something to do with the youth league. But I guess getting into the sphere now, when you get the sphere, you have the option after chapter one to essentially give it back to somebody. But after you watch it, you find this giant foreboding monster that is sort of reminiscent of a giant like Aeon Machina type thing. I I think at the very least, Brother and Shinra and Buddy all seem to think it was a Machina. Yes. And when you Vegnagun, are... I think they called it. Vegnagun, yes. News mentions that when you actually are forced for the 100% purposes to side with them. Honestly, my first playthrough, I would have sighed with New Yevon anyway. Or not New Yevon. Youth, league. Um, you, youth you keep, league. You keep saying New Yevon for both of them. <laughs> well, so far, I really have only talked about, I thought. But anyway. Well, er- earlier you were like, New Ye- I didn't see New Yevon bringing mo- giant weapons to attack New Yevon with. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Anyway. So, yeah, everyone's going to be real confused about that. Regardless... New Yemen totally sucks. They're the bad guys. I don't like them. Youth League, 100%. All day. And I talked about this a little bit last time, and I, I'm going to admit I'm a little disappointed that it really feels like Yevon's the bad guy again. But I'll put this in Riku's words. I mean, New Yevon, they've clearly got Yevon in the name, so it yeah. was evil last time. They're definitely evil this time. Uh... I don't remember if it was what if it was something Riku said or if it was just in the description when you're picking who to go to, but they said the only thing new about New Yevon is the name. Yes, and, and I think I think it was one. I think it was something that Riku said because then Pain goes, "Yeah, but the Youth League are are the one instigating attacks." Maybe, but they weren't immediately. They're not the ones who immediately trampled people with a giant monster. New Yevon did that. Yeah, I get that Youth League is going about things in the wrong way. What they're trying, I, I do not agree with the violence that they are doing. But at the same time, New Yevon are the ones that busted out this giant monster to, to just straight up a- attack and or kill anyone who gets this spear. Although, people keep talking about the Youth League supposedly doing violence, but as they've been presented, like you were saying, there wasn't really any violence on the Youth League side in that event. It was mostly just people sneaking in and going to get it, and then being like, we demand this sphere. It's Sphira's history. We want to know what it is. We want to know about the place we're living in. We we have to know. We don't want to repeat the same mistakes, and in order to do that, we have to know our history and really although i guess also to be fair there wasn't a whole lot of violence on the new yevon side either until the giant monster came out yeah i and i agree with that so like the random guards and stuff were being surprisingly civil but what i'm really annoyed about is brother who after you watch the sphere sees that titus person is on it again and immediately throws a tempter tantrum and insists that it's dangerous because of the Machina and they have to give it back. See, I, that didn't even occur to me. 
I thought he was just freaking out about the fact that there was the big Machida that he didn't like. It did not even occur to me, because you're right, the Titus lookalike, or Titus himself, I think it's just a lookalike, but... And it may be just a lookalike, but the first thing that Yuna says after you see that sphere is, is that you? Was was that him? And Payne, Payne mentions... What was was that him? I think it was Payne or Riku or one of them. And Yuna says, I'm not sure. And then immediately brother throws a tenter tantrum about how they have to give it back. And he doesn't feel better until that weird dancing scene. Somebody mentions, oh, well, why doesn't Yuna have a dance so we can figure this out? Like those weird interludes are just so awkward and feel forced. And it's just brother immediately goes from tenter temper tantrum, little kid to, yeah, let's totally do that. I'm the leader. So we're definitely having a dance off and Yuna's going to dance and everyone's going to feel better because of it. And then finally the next day you, you have to figure out who to give this fear back to, but this, this whole brother being a nonstop obsessed stalker guy is really getting old. Absolutely. It's incredibly creepy. It was incredibly creepy in chapter one, and then somehow feels even creepier going into chapter two, probably because they actually do the stupid dance this time. Yeah, they, they actually had the dance, and that's that's that part where in the sphere you learn that this Titus lookalike or whoever he is is trying to save someone named Len. And during that whole dancing scene, after Yuna does her la-la-la dance, she is sitting off to the side thinking to herself, and, and that's one of those very, very different Yuna moments of jealousy. This this is ridiculous. Who's this Len person? What does she have to do with anything? Yeah, that was really weird because it... Uh, so I... I can sort of see how you get there because it's, oh, this is, if she's still holding on to the idea that this is Titus, then now she's like, oh, is, is he with somebody else or whatever? And it makes her mad, but it just feels very strange for Yuna as she's been characterized for a game and 20% of a game at this point. I don't necessarily think it's weird because that's a very human moment. That is a very human thing to do of... Yo, who is this Len? Especially if she thinks it really is Titus. Because from her perspective, she said, I love you at the end of the last game. He gives her a hug, says nothing, and jumps off the side. And if I was her, now, two years later, he's apparently hanging out with someone named Len, and he's trying to save this person, and he specifically says, you're the only thing that can save her. I would be real mad if I was her, too. Like, dude, I fell in love with you on this pilgrimage. If that really is you, uh, what happened? And you just left and started hanging out with this Len girl? I, that's one of the most human things I've seen so far in this game. That It's so incredibly human because jealousy is a human flaw. That's fair. I guess I just thought it seemed really... I don't know. I mean, you're not wrong, and when you put it that way, I totally get it. It seems out of place for, for Yuna's character, and I agree yes, with that. Yes, that's really what I was saying, yeah. But the jealousy at all, I'm like, finally, Yuna seems... B 
before she seemed kind of like a a robot of I must do this because everyone wants it. Now she's very she clearly has things that she wants and I I feel like th- there are parts of her that are are feel way more flawed than what they should like we said with the with the Ronzo Guado stuff. But this is is very I think it's very acceptable to be upset about that, especially after near the end of the last campaign, more than just completing the pilgrimage, she wants to continue living to be with Titus at the end. And for if this really is him, for him to potentially get into some relationship with whoever this Len girl is, from her perspective, that that's what she's thinking. Yeah, you get him. Like, he totally deserves it. Be jealous. <laughs> That's not cool. On that subject, though, I actually do I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about this video because it's easily the most important one of any of the spheres that we found in terms of both having the most, from a history of Spira perspective, but also just related to the plot of the game. This one obviously feels really important, so I'd like to spend a little bit of time thinking about who do you think that person is? What do you think this is about? And obviously we're only in chapter one or, you know, beginning of chapter two, this is going to be a lot of mass speculation, but this is a topic I was really interested in covering. I already have a theory. Okay. So do I. So you can go first. One of the first things that happens in chapter two, after the whole dance sequence is when she goes to bed, she's still wearing her dancing outfit and she has a dream with both her and this Titus person, and in this case, it was the actual Titus from the last game, running, ending up in the exact same room with the Vaga, Vagna gun, getting shot, and her crying. Yeah. I- but when she wakes up, they mention she's still in the dancing dress, and maybe that has something to do with it. So I'm thinking that whoever this dancing dress is... I think it's Len. Me too, and I, th- I actually was going to take that a step farther. I think Len is the person from that one sphere in Xanarkin that everybody was really excited to get a ticket to. Well, you had mentioned that last time, and and that may still be true. I, I really think that that is one of Len's memories that was essentially saved in the sphere somehow. I agree, and I actually have a theory about the person in the video, the, the, the not Titus, my theory here, and I don't even know if this is necessarily true, but this occurred to me while I was watching it. Like, and when I say not necessarily true, it may not even be possible within the lore. But I think the Titus that the Faith dreamed that beca- that was in FF10 was their recreation of the guy who's in this video, who was the real person that they're now dreaming into existence again as Titus. But where would Jekt have come from? Because I mean, that guy's got to have a dad because Jekt was also a dream, and he was also from that Xanarkin. Yeah, but that guy has to have a dad, right? I mean, yeah, that's a very interesting theory, and 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 maybe that's we'll definitely find out more. And like I said, I'm open, willing to admit that that's a pretty wild theory that I could be completely off base, but that just kind of stuck out to me as, given the fact that they're obviously doing these parallels of, I guess the other possibility is it could be sort of like a reincarnation thing that may, maybe they're going for in terms of, maybe not exactly reincarnation, but the idea that the situation that Len and this other person found themselves in is like one of those 
you know, thousands of years later, the same exact situation essentially comes up with Titus and Yuna. But I'm actually really intrigued by the, the idea of the faith thing, partially because the dreaming of the faith is such a fascinating concept to me. Yeah, I agree. I tend to agree with you. I think I don't necessarily know about the Titus stuff. It, apparently, it ends with both of them getting shot somehow. Possibly, yeah. I, I mean, that's a dream. I don't know how much of that is necessarily literal, but certainly yeah. as it showed up, well, it, it looks like both of them die in that spot, though, and I don't think that can possibly be true for what we know so far. Maybe not. Maybe it is that way. I just, it it feels like the bit of from the sphere of him talking about Vegna Gun being the only way to save the summoner has to happen later in the timeline from them getting shot. Well, Lynn, not the summoner. Sorry, yeah. I thought I thought he called her the summoner, though. He does in the very beginning. He says it was the only way to save the summoner in that very first video that you have at the beginning of the game. But that's assuming that those are both the same people. That's true. I mean, because if we those two people were also wearing completely different clothes based on both spheres. The Titus in the original video looked very much way more like actual Titus, and this Titus that they mentioned looked very different. Well, like physically clothes, looks similar, but he does have a different outfit. They, yes. they, they look Physically, they look similar, but they had completely different outfits. And yeah, I mean, that may mean nothing, but a lot of times, they thinking from a game developer standpoint, they usually aren't changing people's outfits. I mean, th that's a, that's that a very fair observation, yeah, because frequently... When you have a character, especially in like a game like that, the to the extent that we never talked about this either, you meet the pregnant Lulu, and she literally has zero changes. Yeah. They mentioned that she is just about ready to pop, and that Waka is about to be a father. And multiple times, like Yuna and Riku both say, are you sure it's a good idea for you to be walking around like she's, you know, to make it sound like she's extremely visibly showing and stuff, and she looks exactly the same. It's the exact same model and everything. Zero differences, which I was super disappointed about because I was totally looking forward to seeing Lulu with, like, 800 belts but pregnant, and it's like... Every right before surgery, like if, if she has to have a C-section or something, or even before that, they're like, okay, Lulu, you've got to get ready. You've got to take off your clothes because we have to, we have to deliver this baby and you're ready to go. And then Waka goes in there like surgically and starts removing belts and stuff. He's like, okay, here we go. Let me, okay, let me get this belt. Uh, oh no, I'm having trouble with this class. Oh no. Ah, uh, uh, the baby's coming. The baby's coming. Oh no. Okay. Okay. Uh, get, get, grab me a knife. I need to get through these belts. There's so many of them. Lulu, why are you wearing all of these belts all the time? Now to her credit though, with, when her dress is made entirely of belts, it's not like she has to get new clothes as she starts to show more. She can just loosen the belts a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the only reason she ended up with Waka, because he was the only person that was willing to deal with all of those belts just to get laid. <laughs> He's the only person on the entire planet that's like, I have suffered through sin for my entire life. Lulu, can you just take these belts off, please? It's my image. They are a part of me. And no. 
Because Lulu is definitely the person that's like, I am not going to change for you. <laughs> no, you're, there's you're no absolutely right. way. She's like, I will find someone who's willing to deal with these these stupid belts because that's my thing. And then Waka's like, I'll do it. Oh, <laughs> oh good. All right, I guess. <laughs> I do have to, regrettably, I have to give him a little credit. I went back and I watched some of the cutscenes for Final Fantasy X and Waka does have a growth moment. I think it was, I want to say it was right after he also finds out that Yuna is in Albed, but I couldn't find the actual video on that because I think it actually occurred not in a video, but like in game render, which is different. Yeah, because there was definitely, a, as is true with a lot of things, especially in that era, there's definitely a visible difference between the rendering of the characters in a movie versus in the game. So he does have a moment where he is looking at Sid and he's looking at Riku and he's like, listen, I am so sorry. I just followed Yevon my whole life and I never once thought maybe they're wrong. And I built up all of these prejudices against you and your people and it's completely unfounded. So I have to give Waka a little credit. He wasn't in super terrible at the very end but it wasn't until like the very end of the game so i still yeah because i'm pretty sure that actually even happens on the airship and you don't get the airship until literally like it's time to go fight sin it does because you get it right after the airship and this is right after titus finds out that she is she's also going to die or no i think this is after the airship and after bevel because you get the airship right before you go rescue her in Bavel. Because uh, you need the airship to go get her in Bavel. Yeah, because you like parachute in, which is a, a, actually one of the cooler scenes. I also went back and watched the part where Waka is berating Riku about how um, he hates Albed and he can't believe that it's, that she's been in Albed this whole time. And he's essentially just straight up yelling at her in this entire video until Titus is like, Waka, Riku has just been Riku this whole time. You've never once had a problem with her until you just now find out that she's Albed. So what is your problem? And Waka's like, well, that's different. I didn't know she was Albed before. And the video kind of ends there. There are two options after that. One option that I think most people get is when you're going to the temple on those snowmobile type things, whatever they are, the, the speeders. One option is riding with Lulu. She has this scene about how Waka is changing and he's just, he has a lot of prejudices or whatever. And he's, he's not such a bad guy, but just give him some time. But there's another one where Riku rides with Titus instead. And it's heartbreaking because she's sitting there and this is right after it happens. She gets on the back and Titus is strolling around. She's kind of silently looking off into the distance as he's driving along. And, and Titus is like, hey, I, I'm really sorry about Waka. And, you know, he'll get past it or whatever. The very first thing Riku says is, Waka was incredibly mean. I, I was about to cry. 
and then she starts on to an, something else and Titus is like, oh, what'd you say? And she's like, oh, nothing. You know, he, he was just a, a, a big meanie and I just didn't really know how to react. But I, I was just really upset and, and, and don't understand why he's saying these things to me. And it was like heartbreaking, especially when you find out that in that game, Riku's 15. So he's yelling essentially racist stuff at a 15-year-old girl who has been traveling at this point, I would say half of the total amount of time that the entire party has been traveling. So she's been with them a while. And he's just berating her about how she lied about being in Albed when in reality she didn't lie. She just didn't tell him and he's just dumb. <laughs> See, that's, that's actually really interesting that you talk about that. I had no idea there was an alternative because, yeah, I've always ever only ever gotten Lulu and I didn't know you could get somebody else. I didn't either until I was looking up that scene. And then I saw that there was a Riku version and I'm like, oh, OK, let me check this out. And then I was so sad. Because I'm like, Riku, why is he doing this to you? I hate him! I hate Waka! As if you didn't already. Like, how dare you do this to her? She's a child! What is wrong with you? And that is interesting, because it kind of paints Riku in a little bit of a different light. Through most of the game, she's always got that, like, bubbly, happy-go-lucky personality. Other than the parts where she talks about, you know, not wanting unit to have to die which is totally understandable but most of the game implies that her person her personality is really that sort of happy bubbly thing and at least the way you're describing this scene and i'm gonna definitely have to go back and watch it now that makes it sound more like the happy bubbly thing is a cover so she doesn't have to address her actual feelings about things yeah because she also tells titus she slips to him in that thing that Yuna is going off to sacrifice herself. And Titus is like, wait, what do you mean sacrifice? And then she immediately backpedals and says, well, she's making the sacrifice of going on this pilgrimage because she even realized that he has no idea what's going on. So even at that point, she's like, oh, got it. He doesn't know. Well, I'll keep him oblivious still. She also says, do I look like Yuna? Because me and her are, are, are cousins, so... We should kind of look alike, right, Titus? And just trying to get him to say literally anything. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess. And I'm sitting there like, Titus, bro, screw you, man. Like, what is your problem? What is everyone's problem in this game? The only cool people are Aaron and Lulu and, and Riku. Everyone else sucks. And... Some of the obliviousness that Titus has makes sense, given that he doesn't have know where he's doing. But like the part that you're talking about there, where Riku is trying to open up to you and you're oblivious, that's just being dumb. Yeah, th that's just being an idiot. That's that's the typical anime dude that doesn't understand that girls like him, and he's like, "What? She likes me? But there's no way. I'm a loser." And, like, meanwhile, she, she spent ten episodes actively trying to get his attention and like show off in front of him every time she sees him. I, I hate that so much. I absolutely hate that about anime. That It annoys me because it's like, oh, these dudes are just so oblivious and all these girls like them. It's like, okay, how often does this really happen in real life? And at the same time, if a girl is walking up to you and says, yo, I like you, let's go on a date. 
his reaction should not be, oh, well, um, I, I got to play some video games later. So like, <laughs> let's totally hang out, but I don't really know what's going on. And then she's later crying about something. He's like, what's she so upset about? Like, what's she upset? Just cause I said that, you know, I wanted to play video games instead of going like out with her to get spaghetti or something. I don't care for spaghetti. <laughs> I don't want spaghetti. I didn't I like, want, I, like I just pizza. wanted to Jeez. play games. And like, what is she doing? What is her problem? And I'm like, dude, no one is this dumb. <laughs> Nobody is this dumb. Apparently Titus is this dumb. Uh, I will say, looking back on my life, there are parts of my life where I was that dumb, but not quite that dumb, but there are reasons for me being dumb. But the thing if it is, is that's the sort of reaction I think a lot of people have once or twice, but going into the level of like, like you're saying with when it's like 10 different girls or the same person 16 times or something, how have you not figured it out by now? That is just such a stupid anime trope. I, I really wish they'd stop doing that. But, but, you know, people like it, so... But that's part of the problem is because I think that's such a universal concept. And, you know, bringing it back to this with Titus, everybody has had those moments of being oblivious to things, so you can kind of sympathize. But when you when that becomes like an inherent character trait, and that's what you do all the time, it becomes really annoying. I, I will say, there, there's in Guado Salam, right after you find out that Yuna's about to, to marry Seymour or whatever, she goes in to talk to him, and Lulu's like, don't fall in love with her, you know? One of the options is, I think you're more my type. I definitely selected that, and the following interchange with, with Lulu was like, well, you know, I don't think you're necessarily a bad choice, but, you know, you got a lot of growing to do. I'll add you to my list. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, let's go. Yes. Add me to that list. You are my number one. I love you. So I was like, that is, yes. This is exactly what I was hoping for when, if I were to choose the option, you know, you're more, you're more my type, Lulu. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because now see when we talk about this and i know we're this is a little bit probably longer of a tangent on 10 than maybe we wanted but I w i'll say this real quick this affection mechanic in 10 is really interesting in that it's such a relatively minor thing and you may not even realize but i'm guessing that affection is probably also what determines who rides on the snowmobile with you i believe so yeah you have to do specific because there are certain things because I had told you, I don't know if I mentioned this on one of the other ones, but I know I had told you before, the person who throws the ball for Titus's final ultimate is completely determined on affection. And you can actually have other than just girls show up. If other people in the party is, is more affectionate to you than them, they will show up too. Like Kamari can show up. I, I'm pretty sure every single one of the party members can show up. Uh, but there are different things that determine the affection meter. Once your party is done in a movie, there are options for you to talk to. Generally, the first person you talk to gets affection points that you never see and you never know what they are. But you can find out what their affection is based off of you know whether they, they ride with you on that thing. I'm pretty sure the only two options are Riku and and Lulu because I try I I tried to find some more but I couldn't. At least I don't think I looked that hard because I was so heartbroken after Riku that I'm like I don't care what anyone else has to say. 
but it's it's very interesting because when you answer that question, there are also different options for which girl you like. And if you do, if you say too late, then you get plus eight for Yuna. If you do, I like you, there's plus eight for Lulu. And then I'm pretty sure there's also a plus eight for Riku too. There, there was an option for each one of them and you can get a massive boost to affection by doing that. But affection is also determined by if you have Sentinel on Titus and he protects them a who whatever party member if titus heals you or titus does a cheer that also depends on your affection so there's this whole secret affection metric that a lot of people don't even know exists in 10 that you can definitely manipulate to get certain things in your favor and i I bring that up because it's interesting because i think the only other game that i remember that did something like that was seven because there's a part and it's relatively early i think it's maybe disc one might even still be disc one back in you know when there were multiple discs where cloud has to go on a date with somebody and whoever you have the highest affection with you go on a date with them and that and that can include one of the uh barrett one of the male party members and at the time i'm pretty sure that got gets laughed off as you know kind of a a, a homophobic thing really unfortunately but that's the only other time I can think of. And it's also a similarly invisible mechanic that comes about through exactly the same sort of stuff you're talking about. And I find that really interesting. And I wish they would commit to that a little more with one of the other final fantasies, maybe in the future where say you would get actually like a different outcome at the end, rather than having a scripted, you know, you're going to eventually wind up with this person, but who do you have affection for on the way or whatever? Like, I'd really like to see that be incorporated more dynamically in a future final fantasy. And that, and that is kind of a cool metric of who who are you talking to the most? Who do you, who does the player like the most? Because that's essentially what is really going on. The player that you really want to see interact with Titus the most is going to based off of what you choose. Yeah, and so if I had if I was able to put in a request to the Square Enix developers who are no doubt listening to our podcast, <laughs> it would be to please. Oh, okay. Look, let me have this. No. It would be to please in Final Fantasy 16 incorporate something like that where that actually winds up making a difference beyond just this little Easter egg thing. Yeah, you know, when Final Fantasy 16 comes out in 2025, maybe there'll be something in there that that might be like this, but it'll just be another dude bros day out where you can't have a female party member. And the only, the only two female characters in the entire game are one that's dressed in literally nothing. And the other one is getting married to the main character. So I believe there's at least one female guest character. Now let's be fair. Yeah. I mean, there's other, they obviously programmed other women, but but they don't do anything. Yes, I know. Believe me, I'm well aware. I just, I want a dream. Yeah, that's a pipe dream that you're talking Maybe about. Maybe in the remake of Seven, if that ever comes out in like three years. I would hope that that would be in there, considering it was actually in Seven to begin with. Well, I just, I, I would, maybe they can make it have... Flesh it out more. Yeah, exactly. Make it more elaborate than just, oh, there's this one cutscene that changes, basically. But at the same time, I like the fact that you don't know that it's there. I like the fact that if you were just playing it through once, you wouldn't you you potentially might not even notice it. Because I think that is a better aspect of 
what does the player really want? Let's give the player what they really want. I, when Titus is doing his ultimate, somebody comes in and throws the ball. Who does the player like the most? Lulu, in my case? Okay, let's have her do it. Awesome. Yeah, that's one thing that I always found a little bit weird about the, like, Dragon Age games. Now, don't get me wrong. I like, and again, this is kind of a tangent, but we're talking about affection meters here. It is very weird that they have an actual meter you can look at that basically tells you how much somebody likes you. And to Dragon Age's credit, you know, it can have more influence on things because you can actually make somebody mad enough that they'll just straight up leave the party and you'll never see them again. But it is strange to have it be a visible thing where you can be like, oh, well, this person's getting upset. I'm going to go give them 12 presents and then they'll feel really happy again and just gamify that meter. And I kind of agree with that, but without interacting with that person on a unless the dialogue changes so drastically. How is the how is the player going to know if they're actually upsetting them or not? It actually, in, at least in Dragon Age, it actually pops up and will say like Alistair didn't like that or whatever. Okay, if it's a matter of you might upset somebody to the point where they'll leave the party, I can kind of see having a meter. I kind of get that because if I was playing the game and I was just upsetting this guy over and over and over, if you look at especially with people that are busy and that have lots of things to do, they might have to put the game down for a month and might not remember that they really ticked Alistair off. And then they might make him mad one more time and suddenly he's gone from their party forever, but it was a decision they needed to make based off of something else. But if they had just given them presence in between, I, I kind of get if it's going to have serious consequences. I, I understand what you mean by it's kind of odd because it's not something you would ever see in real life. But if somebody can actually leave your entire party and you'll never see them again and there's no way to get them back, I can kind of see people being upset that they can't see that hidden metric. I wanted to point I did want to point out that there was another interesting part at the beginning of chapter two. So so one of the things that you have to do in order to 100 percent is talk to Clasco. He says nothing but, oh, I wish the room would stop spinning. And he's been saying that since he joined the ship at midway through chapter one. We've landed like 700 times between now and then, even within the canon story. And he's still on the ship at the beginning and into chapter two. Dude, if you are getting air sickness or whatever, maybe it's time to leave. Like, I'm not kicking you out or whatever, but yeah, that's a fair point. If you haven't gotten your, I guess, air legs by now, I don't think they're coming. Like, why are you still here? You are so pitiful and hate yourself so much that you're like, I deserve this. I suck at everything. And until I figure out what that's going to be, I will be miserable. To be fair, with every interaction with Clasco through both games, that 100% sounds like an attitude I would believe he has. Oh, yeah, because right before he gets on your ship, he's like, I'm a pitiful loser. I suck at literally everything. Uh, can you just let me on your ship for a bit? Um, I really hope. Okay. I really hope something finally good happens to him because honestly, I thought by the end of 10, it sounded like he was going to go off and fulfill his dream. And then apparently he just decided not to do that. If there were two things, well, it's not that he didn't decide not to do it. He said that he failed. I thought he never got around to doing the Chocobo breeding thing. I thought he said that he he failed because Chocobo weren't a thing that much anymore because people were using Machina. Yeah, oh, yes. I mean, they definitely said that in general. I didn't think he had said that, but maybe he did, and I just forgot. Well, 
I think that he may have something big to do later because I, I'm pretty, I'm not 100% on this, but I think there are definitely spots where I, I think that the Chocobo may come back, especially because I don't know if you saw the mini choke, like the baby Chocobo eater in chapter one, but when you're in the backside of the high roads, when you're doing the whole publicity thing, there's a section where there's a mini chocobo eater that as soon as you come into the area and you start walking towards it, it runs away. Yeah, I did notice that, and then you never see it again. Because I, I thought it was going to be like, oh, follow this, and there'll be some event or whatever, but there wasn't. You I'm never see thinking it again. that Chocobo are going to potentially come back, and that thing is going to become a thing in the later chapters. That very well could be. I mean, they are still there in the sense that you can run into them in random encounters and stuff. Have you killed one yet? No, because they run away like as soon as you show up. You can actually fight them. I don't. I, I attacked one, but I haven't. I didn't kill one, and that's only because it was an accident. Yeah, no, I, every time they've ever been there, they run away, like, almost immediately. So, I, and I know that it's actually possible to kill them, because people are online, or, I killed my first Chocobo today, and I'm like, wow, okay. Well, that's a real downer. (laughs) Thanks. What's wrong with you? I guess there's a capture mechanic to this game. I mean, obviously, because there is a capture mechanic, but I think there's actually a Chocobo breeder mechanic later on. At least from some of the things that I was That would make some sense because that would probably be what you need Clasco for. Exactly. So maybe maybe he'll finally start his dream in a a later chapter. I kind of hope he does, but of the two things of this game that I really want, well, of the multiple things in this (laughs) game that I really want, brother not being an obsessive stock of Creeper is way higher on my list than caring about Clasco's life and it getting better. No, for sure. I guess I just really want to see most of the characters that we had this attachment to in the first game and then come back. I hate to see that their lives kind of still suck. I had zero attachment to Clasco and do not care if he I, succeeds it, or dies. It's not specifically I have attachment to Clasco, but it's just a running trend because like Awaka's in a bad way. Like everybody who's coming back, it feels like they're not doing great. I agree. I will say, though, that I do not care about Clasco at all. I didn't care about him in the first game, and I definitely don't care about him in this game. Awaka, I only care about because he is a means to an end. I need millions upon millions of gil, and he is my means to that end. (laughs) Always kind of thought Awaka was a jerk in the first game, and still a little bit now, but I still would like to see him and things work out for him. Oh, it's so... It's great, because while I'm doing his... While I'm doing that money thing and getting a ton of, of gil, half the time... There's an option for him to come up and say, hey, uh, do you know where a guy can get a broke guy can find some gill? Like, well, if you just sell all your items to barkeep, you can get a lot of gill real quick. (laughs) If you just buy them from you and sell them right to barkeep, you're going to get a ton of money, dude. His backpack is apparently a bag of holding because, oh, my God. Yeah, except for the fact that I can't hold more than 99 items, so it takes forever for me to make an actual profit. Well, you... Stupid game making me do work. He needs to sell you his backpack that it could apparently hold thousands of everything. And then he also needs to complain about not ever having any money. Like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. I already paid your debt. Get off my back. I got stuff to do. When I'm... I've got him down to... A fair bit at this point, but I haven't been specific. I didn't specifically go out of my way to address it the way you did, but pretty much all the money I get has been going to him at this point. And 
whenever I talk to him, he just lets out this big heavy sigh when I'm done. Like, oh, I still owe so much money. <laughs> For me, he's still a sad sack. So nothing really has changed. He still wants more money. What what I'm I'm wondering where he's gonna go because I know he leaves in chapter three, and I really hope that I still get the benefit from him at some point where. Not that I can do what I'm doing now, but I really hope that he's still mega cheap somewhere. So even if I do need something, I can get it from him for cheaper. As if you're ever going to have a problem with that at the point you're at. I only have 1.5 million gil. What could you possibly ever use 1.5 million gil for? It costs millions upon millions of gil to bribe one monster. Ah, see, exactly. Exactly. Wait, is bribe even still a thing? Yes, it is. And silence should have been what your reaction was. I was just confused because I'm like, I didn't even know you could bribe. Yes, of course bribe is still a thing. What is it? Is it a thief thing that I just don't have yet? I don't believe so. Where does it... How, how do you do it then? I don't know. I haven't gotten it yet, but I know it's a thing. Oh. I I looked it up. I researched it. Of course I, of course I did. Yeah, I mean, I believe <laughs> you that you did that because it 100% sounds like you. Yes. What are you expecting going forward for next week? So I'm going to try to be at least halfway through chapter two. This time I'm going to do publicity at the exact same time. So when I'm in an area, I'm going to do the publicity stuff at the same time instead of doing all of it at the at the end. Because that kind of, for me, bogged things down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I did the same thing. I've. I mean, I'm planning to do the same thing as much as possible, and what little bit I did do so far in Chapter 2, I definitely did that, and it's definitely going to make things go a lot faster. It's going to be interesting running into New Yevon at all at this point, because you've joined the Youth League. I imagine New Yevon is not going to be happy to see you at all. Yeah, the guy definitely makes it sound, or the guy we were looking at definitely makes it sound like whichever side you pick, you pretty much have to avoid all the areas of the other side. As always, I hope that brother's going to die. <laughs> something terrible befalls him or something. He can just jump off the airship again and not somehow survive this time like he did in, at the beginning. It's like, I don't want him to die, but I just don't want him to be around anymore. It's like, it's not By I... whatever means necessary. <laughs> it's not that I want to kill him. I just want him to not be alive. It, it, that. That'd be great. If you could go ahead and be dead by the weekend, that'd be great. And get that sphere report on my desk by Monday. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, I'm, I don't think I'm going to get any more, especially since it seems like the last thing you're really going to do in Chapter 2 is kind of get that sphere back. So I don't think we're really going to, we're mostly going to be doing side story type stuff. For, for the most part, I think. I don't really think that we're going to get into anything big yet. But if we do, I definitely want more information on this this Len person and specifically this dress sphere. Because it seems like the first dress sphere you ever got is somehow becoming like vital to the story. Because she, they would not have mentioned, oh, well, maybe the dream is because of your, is because you are still in that dress. I don't think they wouldn't have mentioned that if it wasn't important. Yeah, it, it was such a strange comment from Riku in any context, too, because like within the context of the universe, why would that have made any difference? 
Exactly. It's like, oh, well, maybe it was just a strange dream after you saw the sphere or whatever. Right. So it was one of those comments, I completely agree, where it feels like it. this dialogue doesn't make any sense unless it's intended to be foreshadowing. Exactly. It, it, that's what it feels like. So so what are your expectations going into deeper into chapter two? Uh, I agree with you. I do find it interesting that there's only the one hotspot this time to get yeah the spear back from LeBlanc, which I don't think we had mentioned at all, but she and her stupid goons break in and steal the sphere you got from, I think it was the one from Xanarkand. Which they were very much comic relief this time. So still, what is going on with them and their super foreboding sphere where they're showing up after a bunch of people we either murdered or they murdered them or something. Yeah. And now those two are like super wacky, crazy, crazy inflatable arm man in the background of LeBlanc, whatever. Wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man. They're, they're so wacky and out of control. And, 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 and so is she. Fun. She's very wacky too. And I mean, obviously not quite to the level they are because they're supposed to be her incompetent henchmen, but, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that back up because I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, that, that felt so weird. Unless, again, what could be interesting is if that one sphere is a similar situation to that hypothesis I threw out there with Titus, where the guy in the sphere is like what Titus was based on for the Dream of the Faith or whatever, because this could be going to a thing where, is this just straight up a reincarnation cycle? Maybe. I literally just had that thought when you brought up that old sphere again. Because it starts, it's starting to feel like the only way to make all these different threads make sense. Unless it just doesn't have to make sense. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because from the perspective of the game, it really feels like LeBlanc and those two are basically the Gary to your Ash. It's just the, the kind of goofy, repeated boss who keeps showing up. Or they are essentially using her. And that's possible. They need spheres, and she's an easy way to get them. And they have to just put up a front for her. That, and that's possible, and that would be really interesting. But even when she's not around, they still act like bumblers. Because of that, and that scene with the scene where you originally get the sphere that we're referring to with them, they still acted really incompetent, and she was nowhere to be found. I, I also want to say, are all the spheres just terrible video recordings, or do the gull wings just have bad equipment? I'm gonna, because even the sphere she left looks like garbage. I'm pretty sure it's that it's that they're all bad because weren't all the ones in ten that Jack left pretty garbage too? No, they. I thought they were all. I'll have to go back and watch because I thought they were all relatively good, but maybe they are just garbage. I, I was just thought that was just a matter of that's just like the level of technology they have. They're, they're clearly not like able to do anything above VHS. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it's got like that old VHS. That's exactly what it is. It's that old VHS like line thing that you would get. Once they get into maybe maybe in the later chapters they'll they'll develop HD and <laughs> or at least you know DVD quality and things will look a lot better. But yeah, no, every you're right. Every single sphere has that look to it, and I I thought that was the way it was in ten. Also, but if not, that would be really confusing why they suddenly got worse. Yeah, to continue uh, what I'm expecting, I agree. I don't think we're gonna probably hit a lot of main story stuff, especially since there's only the one in Guado Salam this time. Which is kind of interesting, because I actually kind of really liked that there were multiple hotspots in Chapter 1, so I'm curious if more are going to pop up later. Well, I mean, there were only two in, in Chapter 1, and then one opened up, so just because there's only one hotspot now doesn't mean there aren't going to be more. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm kind of curious if more are going to open up, because I liked having multiple things there. It just I don't know. It just was kind of cool. 
So, so given that yeah, it's hard to make any predictions on plot or whatever, I'm expecting probably halfway or, or for the same reason that I'm also doing the PR stuff now as I go rather than going back through, which admittedly was a decent chance to get a little bit of grinding in for me, but the monsters don't seem like they've changed at all since chapter one because I already was in Besaid and it's all the same stuff. So like being overleveled, I feel like I'm still going to already be overleveled, let alone you. Because I know you're a higher level than me, because I'm only like 21, I think. Uh, my levels are funny, because they are Eunice 23, Riku's 24, and Pain is 25. <laughs> but yeah, so you're already doing better than me, but like I blew through the, the story bosses, because at the end, all three of the hotspot bosses at the end of chapter one, like nothing. I mean, I've blown through the bosses too, but I'm actually fine with that, because I care more about the story. Oh, same now. here. I'm not upset. It was just an observation of I'm already feeling that it's easy, and I'm sure the bosses will be harder, but it, so far the main monsters don't feel like they've changed at all. I care less about the fighting and more about actually continuing the story at this point. Sure. And because I'm enthralled now. But yeah, so that aside, this chapter maybe we will find out what is up with those two because since the focus of this chapter is getting that stuff back from LeBlanc, if they're going to drop that there's more going on here than just them being goofballs, now's the time to do it. But I think that's about it for me, because it's hard to make a lot of predictions knowing we're not really going to have much plot, I don't think, this week. Thanks for listening to the third episode of Video Games Cover to Cover. New episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. And remember, I hate Waka. Waka.